Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hell of an NFL weekend, wasn't it? Lots to cover. The NFL Roundup on this Monday. You've got the Packers handling their business once again. You have Matt Stafford becoming Matt Schaub. You've got the Browns and the Ravens facing off in one of the uglier Sunday night tilts you're ever going to see. The Bengals and the Patriots both make big-time statements. In fact, they made big statements, but they're not even going to make it into the opening recap because they get their own take. So where to start? Where to start? Oh, I know. I'm going to start with the Vikings. Yeah, I said it. So how was your weekend? Get up into anything embarrassing? Because Kirk Cousins did. Oh, Kirk had himself a moment at the worst possible moment. The Vikes were trailing the 49ers by eight with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Fourth and goal from the three-and-a-half-yard line. The Vikings are going for it. Of course they are. So if you're going to go for it in that situation, you want to make sure. You want to make sure everybody is on the same page. You want to make sure the order of operations are all set up properly. You want your receivers in the right spot. You want your quarterback lined up under the center, not under the guard. Roll it, Alvy. Oh, he ran all the way yeah. over there to tell Jefferson. We have to five get the on Cole, take timeout. a timeout. Well, now Gotta he's behind Ole Udo. Cole, timeout. And then he lined up behind Ole Udo. <laughs> Minnesota. Mike. They're second. Wow. 32nd timeout. Uh-oh. Vikings radio with that awesome call. Man, you know it's bad. You know it's bad when the radio announcers are calling it out as he's doing it, and they're screaming at him. Call timeout! Call timeout! Man, that is so good. His own announcer is screaming at him. Call timeout! Call timeout! Man, I thought this dude was going to pull Lamar Thomas and go down the elevator and get in that thing. I was about to go down the elevator and get in that thing. Call timeout! Call timeout! Why do you even ponder lining up under the guard? This is not Detroit, man! Why do you even ponder passing? Call timeout! Call timeout! Hey, Avi, do me a favor. If it's not too much to ask, well, for one, call timeout! And then, can you run that back for me one more time? I mean, did Kirk Cousins truly line up under the guard? Oh, he ran all the way yeah. over there to tell Jefferson we to get the on Cole, take timeout. a timeout. Well, now Got he's behind take. Ole Udo. Got to take Cole, timeout. And then he lined up behind Ole timeout. Udo. <laughs> Minnesota. They're second. Wow. 32nd timeout. And just a word for Paul Allen. Goat. This dude is so good. Call timeout! Call timeout! God, I love that. So good. I mean, listen, in Kirk's defense, that'll happen. That'll happen in high school football. That can't happen in the NFL. And it certainly can't happen on fourth down in the fourth quarter with the game on the line and the playoffs on the line. The stakes are way too high for a veteran quarterback like Kirk Cousins to be lining up under the guard. Like, I can't even believe I saw that. Lining up under the center. 
Yeah, it's where he should be. Lining up under guard? How the hell did that happen? Well, you ask Kirk, it just sort of, well, happened. We just didn't get lined up properly, and um, the play clock was winding down. I was just moving, trying to get everybody settled up, and then just uh, got under the wrong guy. Just got under the wrong guy. Like, happens. Happens to us all. Yeah, it happens. Happens to us all. Except it doesn't, and it can't. Lining up under guard. What is this, peewee football? That's a guy with 115 NFL starts under his belt. Not a high school freshman. That is a two-time Pro Bowl quarterback, and he's lining up under the guard. I'm not going to say that's why they lost that game. I am going to say that's going to stick to him far more than any loss would. That's not quite the butt fumble, but it's in the same neighborhood of things that simply cannot happen. And as you might imagine, it only got worse from there because instead of being pissed at his franchise quarterback lining up under guard, Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer was actually pissed about the refs and the Niners. I mean, these guys hold all the time, so they're grabbing us around the waist, grabbing our backs, and, you know, officials, they don't want to call it every play, but until they start calling every play, they're not going to stop doing it. Wow, Mike, really? I mean, I can't believe that guy went there with that. And then that got all the way back to George Kittle, who said, in essence, quit whining and play better. Hmm. I get away with a lot of holding. I mean, I think if you're running your feet and your hands inside, just because the guy spins and flails his arm, it's not holding. He's just flopping. I mean, you can watch plenty of pass plays. I finally got a holding call out there in a pass route. I got hugged and tackled. And I think there were like three of those out there that don't get called. It's football. You know, refs throw flags. Refs don't throw flags. It's just the game. And... If you're going to sit on the sideline and complain about holding the whole time, I tell you guys to make better plays. Man, that's good. That's good, and he's right. I actually love it. I love when coaches and players are trading shots like that. But what Kittle should have said was, is Zimmer really complaining about anybody or anything when his starting quarterback is lining up under guard in a critical situation? Holding. You're crying about us holding. Your bleeping quarterback is lining up under the guard. And you want to complain about holding. Man, stop wasting our time and remind your quarterback that the center is the guy who snaps the ball and not the guard. And do it before he lines up under the tight end next time. Or behind one of his split-out wide receivers. And how about that Sunday night matchup? Generally, I'm all about the AFC North. Love that division. So obviously, I was pretty hyped up to end a nice, long weekend with an America's team, Ravens Fister. That is, until I sat down and I actually started watching it. I mean, the hell was that? I know Baker Mayfield is all busted up, just as I know that Lamar Jackson was coming back from illness. But damn, damn if that game didn't puke all over itself. Two offenses that couldn't do anything at all except turn the ball over. The only thing that redeemed that game was one play and one interview. Here is the play. Jackson takes the snap. Pressure's coming. Cloudy almost got it. He's rolling back to the 35-yard line. Throws as he's hit. He throws to the end zone. Caught. Touchdown, Ravens. Middle of the field of Mark Andrews, who came back to make the touchdown reception. It's a 13-yard touchdown officially, but it was about a 37-yard pass from Lamar Jackson. Ravens, radio, vintage Lamar. 
Man, that was something else, that play. Vintage Lamar, and then what, so was this after the game. I'm, I'm, I'm hot, though. I threw four interceptions, three first half. Um, I feel like those drives, when, when the interceptions came, we could have did we could have did something on those drives. We could have put points on the board. And I just told my team, like, that's me. I owe y'all. I like that. I like that. You got to respect that. QB1 wins a huge division game, and he's still pissed because he knows that he could have cost them that game. He knows they came that close to losing that game. So I like that reaction. That's kind of what makes Lamar Lamar. It's just funny to me, though, that Lamar wins a game and he's that pissed, but the legend that is Vita Vea loses a tooth and he thinks it's funny. Take a look at Vita Vea here. Oh, he lost a tooth. And he's smiling. <laughs> That's oh my the best part. Oh, my gosh. Does the tooth fairy come for 26-year-olds? <laughs> I'm just asking. I don't know. That is unbelievable. That was actually unbelievable. This dude's the best. His helmet slides back on his head. He takes some offensive lineman's bucket to his chiclets, spits one out, and he's laughing as he walks off the field. <laughs> Blood is pouring out of this guy's mouth, and he's laughing. Vita is officially the biggest badass in a league full of them. You know what's not badass, though, right oh. about now? Los Angeles... Pro football. Good thing Lincoln Riley's on his way because that's going to provide cover for both the Rams and the Chargers, and they both need it because they both ate a lot of punches yesterday. The Broncos wrecked the Chargers in Denver, and it was all bad for the Bolts. I would tell you to, or ask you to, show me your lightning bolt! But now is not the time, especially after this pick six. Quick throw to Eckler, deflected, and intercepted! Down the west sideline. This may be a house call. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Denver. 70 yards for Pat Sertan. Second interception of the game. Second interception of the quarter by the rookie out of Alabama. Pick bleeping six. And as long as we're talking about pick sixes in L.A. football, I can't not talk about Matthew Stafford. Man, I I don't even know what to say at this point. Like, I love the move when the Rams brought him in, obviously. I loved it even more when he was an MVP candidate in September. But he's making that move and that MVP talk look pretty bad right about now. Five TDs and five picks in his last three games. Even worse, he threw another pick six yesterday. Stafford, tight pocket. Hit as he throws left side. It's intercepted. Down the right sidelines. Douglas to the house. High stepping. Touchdown. Green Bay in a third quarter. Dagger. It's 36 to 17. Over the last three games, he has thrown five TDs to his guys. And three to the other guys. Three straight games with a pick six. The most since Matt Schaub went four straight. That Schaub streak was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I never thought that I would see anything like that ever again. And yet Stafford is on the doorstep. The Rams have gone from being Super Bowl contenders to being just another team. To possibly being on the outside looking in. And even if they do get in, they should. But even if they do, do they really look like a team that's going to do any damage once they get there? 
not playing the way they are right now, not with Matthew Gofford as their starting quarterback. Like if Sean McVay, thank you, Alvy. If Sean McVay really is the smartest guy in the room, now would be a very good time to show it. Because that dream team that they were assembling has fallen apart. Like, I know they lost Robert Woods. I know how important Robert Woods was. I just didn't know he was the entire team. I love the moves they made. The players have to back it up, though. Matthew Stafford has a chance to prove that the struggles in Detroit were because he was in Detroit. And if he doesn't, that is all on him. Then again, in his defense, at least he never lined up under guard during an NFL game. Oh, he ran all the way yeah. over there to tell Jefferson. We have to five of them. Cole, take timeout. a timeout. Well, now Gotta he's behind Ole Udo. Cole, timeout. timeout. And then he lined up behind Ole Udo. <laughs> Minnesota. Their second. Goal timeout. Thirty seconds. I'm surprised, timeout. dude, didn't just go over to the other side and rush himself. Cole, timeout. Be like if I came in the studio one day. During Iggy Pop, you know, like I'm, I'm running in late. I'm trying to get everything set up. Iggy Pop's going. I get my cue from Alvin. You're on. And I start talking into one of the cameras and not the microphone. Like I'm yapping up into a camera. Never mind that I've been in the studio for 30 years. Not this studio, but a studio. Never mind that I've been speaking directly into a microphone for 30 years. I walk, I run, I run right in and I start yapping up into one of those cameras. Like, people say the butt fumble is the most embarrassing NFL quarterback moment. Mm, nah. Mark Sanchez fumbling after running into his own lineman's buttocks is bad. But at least he had the common sense to receive the snap. Dan Orlovsky. I mean, my man's having a really nice media career. Credit for that. But him running out of the end zone for a safety is laughing at your field awareness, Kirk. Very clutch. Full timeout! But at least we got that from it. Call timeout! Call timeout! Hey, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. Adrian Amos is my guest. Adrian, great to have you on. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good, dude, good. Really good to have you. So let me first start by asking you. You had an enormous play late in the first half when you made that stop on fourth and one. Really an incredible play and one that set up the offense to score points on the next drive. Can you tell me what you saw on that play? Was that just strictly a reaction or was that the result of some intense film study? Um, you know, it, it was a little bit of both. Um, I know uh, during the week um, we got a couple uh, tips from Coach Gray um, uh, about the run game and on on uh, fourth and short. And um, you know, they they um, 
No, when I saw the the play uh, going to the right a little bit, I said I'm going to shoot my gun. I said um, either way, I'm going to shoot this gap and um, you know and, and see what happened. But yeah, it was a um, you know a, a fourth down stop, and, and it was good to give us get us off the field on fourth down. No doubt, Adrian Amos joining us. You know, you had faced Matthew Stafford a number of times in the NFC North. So, from a preparation standpoint, what's it like when you go up against a guy that you know well, but who's now in a different system? Um, you have to look more towards the system. Um, you know, with, with an offense like that, they're they're a similar offense today um, to what they were last year um, you know, on the Rams. And um, you know, you have a different quarterback that can make different throws. Um, that's what you look at when you look at a particular player. You look at what types of throws can he make. What does he like to do? How does he like to look off? But um, you have to prepare for the scheme more more so. We're talking to Adrian Amos. That makes sense to me. And then you've got Rasul yeah. Douglas, right? He had a pick six off Stafford late in the third quarter, and that gave you a 36-17 to 17 lead. I'm curious, what were you thinking as that play unfolded, and then how huge a moment was that? Um, it was a great play. It was a great play by him. Um, he does a lot of film study, and, um, you know, he was play, playing real aggressive, real aggressive yesterday, and that, and that was a big play. Um, I think that was our, our first touchdown as a defense this year. And, um, yeah, it was a big play in the game. Um you know, uh, I think we should have could have finished the game out a little bit better, so it can you stay at stay at that uh, 17 mark. But um, you know, uh, uh, all in all, that was still a big play and huge uh, for our win. In fact, he had that huge interception in the win over Arizona as well, and then that pick six. Right. So he's made a big difference already. What about the defense overall? When the defense is healthy and it's playing at its best, how good is this unit? Um, you know, we can be as good as we want to be. Uh, we ha- we have all the pieces. We all have all the tools. Um, we play together. Um, we just have to um, be be more consistent each and every play. Um, we had we had two plays that we would want back la- um, from from yesterday that we would want back. Um, but as we continue to get even more healthy, we we still have a lot of our top guys that are, that are hurt as well. But you know, people that are stepping in and have been great for us. And um, you know, I think the, the sky's the limit. We we get this rest. This is going to be big for us this bye week, um, and then get back to these you know this final stretch. Adrian Amos is joining us. So you mentioned the bye. What about that? You've got the bye before you face the Bears. So how do you plan on spending that bye week yourself? And then how valuable is it to get some time off at this point of the season? Man, just just relaxing. That that's that that's the key. Just just relaxing. I'm um, staying a little active, but um, but mostly getting off my feet, um, recovering. Um, you know, I like to um, I lo- I like to watch all my clips from the the first half of the season uh, or before the bye, and just just watch myself, just see little things that I you know I can um, you know pay attention to more when we come back. But um, but mostly relaxing and getting that body right. I think that's pretty interesting. Like so, when you come back, you'll have five games left. Normally, you'd be looking at four games left in the regular season. So, how does it feel to you to have a seventeen game regular season instead of sixteen? What's that like now? Um, you just gotta take it one game at a time. Um, just take it, take it as in, um, you know, last year, um, you expect to, be, you know, have have playoff games too. So you know you have to play more games anyway. So um, it, it's it's no point of, you know, we complain about that in the off season, but during the season now, we we just in it. We gotta take it one game at a time, and and it's coming, um, you know, and, and just another opportunity to. Um, you know, to put ourselves in a, in a great standings uh, heading into the to the um, to the playoffs. Did you get to play like some mental gymnastics to kind of get yourself to a place of oh great now we have to do that as opposed to or no now we get to do that instead of sure. having to do that. Is there some of that going on? For sure, for sure. You know that's what I mean when I say as far as um, 
you know, it's another opportunity now. There's another opportunity to 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 place ourselves in a, in a position, um, you know, uh, to you know have the NFC come through Lambeau. So, um, you know, that that that's another opportunity, that's another chance, and then, um, you know, hopefully, you know. Yeah, like I said, everything comes through Lambo, and I think that's that's going to be, you know, that's always our, our goal. Um, but it's it's one step at a time, one step at a time. So we got um, this bye week, and then we got Chicago. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. I'm telling you, Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Good, good stuff. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones... Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Not to Old Trapper. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Adrian Amos is joining us. You know, you mentioned having to come through Lambeau. That's obviously the key, right? You're playing for that. You want them to come to your house. I mean, you want the buy, but you want that game at home. What's it like late in the year, that time of year, to have teams come in and deal with the elements of Lambeau? How challenging is that for the opposition? And can you kind of see it on them when they come in and they see what they're up against? Oh, for sure. That, that, that's to anybody. It, it's cold, but you have to, um, like, you, you know, even with us, we just have to lock in mentally. Um, I don't think you necessarily get used to the cold, but it, it's just about learning how to deal with the, the elements. And um, when, when people come here, it, it's just a different. You you think you know it, you think you got it, but then when you, you really in, in those elements, it's, you know, it's a, it's a different story. The, the hits hurt a little bit more. Um, the scrapes hurt, you know what I'm saying, it hurt a little bit more. And, um the the ball is actually harder as well, like you know, what I'm saying to to catch, to throw, different things like that. So, um, you know, I I think you know that's to our advantage if people have to come here. Dude, I think that's actually an awesome description. Like for instance, I, I've got nothing to compare it to, obviously, because I don't do that. But I, I've been in cold weather. Like I was did some work. Adrian Forth, CBS at the AFC Championship game in Kansas City. Dude, I was outside for like a half hour, and I'm still not right. A couple years later, I didn't hit anybody. Nobody hit me. I didn't have to do jack, but talking to a camera for like two minutes, and I'm still not right two years later. So, I mean, I understand you get to go to the bench. I understand they're big heaters. They're big jackets. But in terms of getting ready for the elements, is there really anything you can do or just kind of go mind over matter? Um, it's really that minor matter. You got little techniques that you do as far as, you know, I'm not going to tell you all my tricks that I do before I go out there. I got you. Um, you know, to stay warm. But, um, you know, it's just it's just different things that you, you just you just get accustomed to. Um, I wouldn't say that you just all the way, you don't feel it because, yes, I, you know, we're cold too. But it's just a, something that you, um, you have to, um, you know what I'm saying, you have to have it in your mind. You have to have your plan, um, you know, to go out there and, and handle those elements. All right, so I can tell you're locked in, so you probably aren't spending a lot of time looking back on what you've accomplished since you got there. But yesterday was your 100th NFL start, and probably when it's all said and done, you'll think about these numbers and what you've accumulated in terms of career stats over your entire football life. But that's a big number in and of itself. Does that What's that milestone mean to you right now? Have you thought about it? Yeah, um, um, you know, uh, when I um, played the game yesterday after the game, you know, I just think about the the blessings that it, you know, it took to get here. Sometimes when you you do, when you're in the moment, um, you don't understand, you know, how 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 big that is to to be able to um, actually even just be healthy enough to have a hundred starts, um, or you know, to be good enough in this uh, um, 
when you go into percentages and stuff like that. Um, and with me being a fifth round pick, um, I don't think a lot of people would have proje- pre- you know projected me to be um, a starter of a, of a hundred games. So um, I feel good and I feel blessed, and uh, I feel like um, you know uh, that's a, a tribute to um, to to my family, to God, to you know to a lot of things that a lot of factors that helped me to get to this um, to this day. I want to be clear about something else too. Not only is when you're a fifth round pick, there aren't too many guys that make it the way you have and get 100 starts like that, but also you've made an impact from the very beginning. I mean, you've been starting from the very beginning, so there's that as well. Also, before you go, you had a great tweet last week involving Thanksgiving, which read, quote, if anything on your dinner table has the word casserole in it, (laughs) never invite me over, end of quote. So how was Thanksgiving, and was anybody courageous enough to bring a casserole of any sort around you? Oh, Thanksgiving was great, and no casseroles. I, I, no casseroles. I know a lot of people, you know, show me pictures of their casserole. That's what made me say it. You know, just seeing the the what was it? Is it green bean casserole? Thank or you, something dude. Like that. Thank you, yeah, dude. I I, I'm so I glad you said that. I can't that. deal with that. My man, I, I, I never, ever interrupt anybody because I don't, I don't want to be rude. Sorry I did that. But I was so excited that you just said that because on the show before Thanksgiving, I said the one thing I'm not having is that green bean casserole, man. Never has anything been so overrated. Don't bring those fake fried onions and that green bean casserole. Exactly. You're so right about that, man. I'm so glad you said that. Is there any casserole at all that works that you're even open to? Um, I, I maybe need to do my research more, but I've only seen a, a certain amount of ca- uh, casseroles and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't dug deep into into um, what what classifies as a casserole, but. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen anything, any casseroles that I like so far. Let me tell you something. Don't and and forgive my my use of language here, but a green green bean, not green bay, green bean casserole, classifies as ass. If you ask me, man, it just makes me <laughs> mad, dude. It puts me in a bad mood. I'm so glad that you and I are on the same page on that. Really quickly, as long as we're talking food and Thanksgiving, what's your reaction when Matthew Judon was saying that macaroni and cheese is quote just cheese and noodles, so it's not good. Get that off the table. Yeah, I don't know about that. Where do you come out on that? Yeah, he tripping. Him and um, Humphrey from um, from Baltimore. They they um, they talk bad about macaroni, but I think um, they need to come to to my house in Baltimore because I'm you know I'm from Baltimore, and then um, you know they both have have roots in Baltimore, so they can come on over and have some of my mom's uh, macaroni and cheese, and and it won't disappoint. Uh, my my thing about that is those two dudes, good players, bad take. Good players, bad opinion. Adrian Amos, my guest, safety of the Packers. My man, great to have you on the show. That was a lot of fun. Really appreciate you. Enjoy the the bye week. Hope we can do it again soon. Okay, thank you. Okay, that'd be good. And now a quick message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. All right, so let me give you a reaction to the news that USC is going to get Lincoln Riley. I'm going to give you my reaction when I saw that, when that news dropped. Holy crap, which is kind of like the radio-friendly version of my reaction because that's not really what I said. 
So Lincoln Riley is going to be the next head coach at USC. Lincoln Riley is USC's next head coach. I mean, damn. Been about 24 hours since that story broke, and I'm still shaking my damn head. Like, I got I to gotta be real. I thought maybe possibly, but not really. I mean, it, honestly, I didn't see that happening. Maybe, maybe. Like, when they were looking for a head coach, and you saw the other openings, and you saw the carousel start to spin, and you saw Lincoln Riley's name come up in connection with LSU, I thought to myself, first of all, the guy's probably not going to leave OU, probably, because guys don't leave Oklahoma. But you know who could really use that guy? USC. Ah, hell nah. That's not happening. Except it happened. And what's really strange to me is you don't see things like that happen because they don't happen. Head coaches don't just walk away from Oklahoma. They just don't. Like that happens maybe once a century. So big, big swing by USC, who after years of getting it all wrong with the likes of Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan and then everything that those guys did and decided and everybody they brought in, After getting it all wrong for so long, USC finally gets it right. A big-ass swing and a power move and an L.A. move at that. I've been saying it for a long time now. You're not going to move the needle in this town without taking big, big swings. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. In this town, more than any other town, it's what have you done for me lately. And if the answer is jack squat, we're going to find something else to do. Now, you might say, right, Rome, because it's the worst sports town in the world. Maybe, but it's a damn good town when you're playing well and you're winning. But the reason why this is not a great sports town, and it's not. I'm an L.A. native. I'll own that. This is not a great sports town. And by that is, by that I mean, we're not going to stick with you through thick and thin. We're not going to ride this out with you. If you suck... We're moving on to the next thing because there's always another thing. Because we have options. It's Hollywood, man. It's L.A. There are other good teams. Moreover, there are other good things to do. So if you're not getting it done or you haven't done anything for us lately, we will move on to the next thing. We have it all here in L.A. One drink, one stop. There's a better party and we're not at it. You don't believe me? Check out the attendance at USC games this year. It was horrible. And why is that? Because the product was horrible. There are a lot of other things to do in this town, and we will do them. And if you're, well, how do I put this? Ass? Then you're out of luck. Finally, the leadership at USC, newer leadership, figured this out. They understand this. They're not going to live on past history. They're not going to live on their laurels. They're not going to assume that we are USC. They will come because they stop coming. And even worse, they stop caring. You want to prove that USC football still matters. You want to prove that USC is back. You want to get everybody's attention. You have to make a move like this. Like when USC fired Clay Helton, they had to come up with something great. They couldn't fire this guy and then hope to get some flavor of the month coordinator to come in and restore that pride. That was not going to happen. Nor could they reach back into their history and get somebody else from that Pete Carroll tree. That wasn't going to happen either. 
been a long time since the gum chewer was here contending for and winning national championships. I mean, that's a decade plus ago. This is a program that has had one Rose Bowl and one conference title since Peter left. And that was longer ago than you think. He left after the 09 season. So since then, it's been pretty ugly and pretty bare for USC. Since Pete left, it's been Lane Kiffin fired on the tarmac, Sark resigning after he hit the bottle, and Helton fired after just not being very good, and two interim coaches. So they needed this badly. And it seemed like maybe the trail had gone cold, right? Hell, when Mike Tomlin heard his name mentioned in connection to that gig, he responded like it was a reason to go. Never mind that he just got hammered by the Bengals. When he heard his name mentioned in connection with that job, he wanted to fight somebody like it was a reason to go. You know, somebody spits in your face, you go. Somebody insults your race or religion, you go. Someone threatens somebody close to you, you go. Somebody says you're a candidate to be the head coach of the USC Trojans, you go. I mean, it didn't look good. Most of the buzz and the big-name speculation centered around LSU until USC dropped that bomb yesterday. So not only a great move, but I love the way they went about it. Like totally stealth, a total pro move all the way around Mm -hmm. because there really was no "Mm, totally pro. Mm -hmm. Totally pro. I say that because there really wasn't like any kind of hint, at least not publicly, that Riley and USC were going to come together. In fact, all the smoke was about Lincoln Riley and LSU. So powerful that he said this after OU lost to Oklahoma State on Saturday night. Lincoln, are you shocked that you've gotten this far without anybody asking you about all the rumors this week? I'm just, I'm just saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about it, so I might as well. I mean, it's nonstop. I mean, it's, it's every day. Hold up, hold up, hold up, Gary. I'm not going to be the next head coach at LSU. Can I ask you? Next question. Uh, fair enough. Are you going to be the next head coach at USC? Well, yes. Yes. Next question. Next question. I mean, back in the day, it was enough for USC just to be USC. But not anymore. Not when the Dodgers and the Lakers have won championships in the past 14 months. Not when the Rams and the Chargers, well, it looked a lot better a couple weeks back. But not when they're grinding as hard as they are to get to a Super Bowl that they're going to host. Not when the Clippers are building a new arena. It's a big-ass swing. When they had to have it most. And you know what else it proves? A lot of you don't want to admit this, but it does prove that USC is still a good job, a really good job, because this guy just left one of the best jobs in the sport in order to take that job. And they're getting a guy who's 55 and 10 in five seasons at Oklahoma. Past performance is not a predictor of future success, but how about this for past performance? Four conference titles, three playoff appearances, two Heismans, Two first overall picks and three starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, this guy develops quarterbacks and he recruits his ass off. He was recruiting Southern California better than the University of Southern California was recruiting Southern California. 
Like, SoCal was already Lincoln Riley's backyard from Oklahoma. He had guys from Modern Day and Los Al planning to go to Norman. And now he's coming to them instead. So, you pair his brand and his skills with USC's brand, and to me, it's a win-win. Or at least it's as close to a guaranteed win-win as there is. Like, I don't know what they're paying him, but no matter what they're paying him, it's worth it. Because irrelevance costs way more than what they're paying him. I don't care what they're paying him. Not mattering to USC especially is way more costly than whatever check they're scratching this guy. And pretty much that's what USC has been for quite some time. Irrelevant. Nobody's showing up to games. Worse yet, recruits leaving the state in mass. Boosters being disgruntled, man. It was bad. Like, like bad enough that even here in Orange County, people taking razor blades to their USC stickers on their beamers. People, take, people taking screwdrivers to their vanity plates to change them out. And blame me, just hiring another nice guy or hiring another guy who somehow once knew Pete Carroll back in the day or worked with Pete Carroll back in the day was not going to get it done. Lincoln Riley at USC is as close to a sure thing as it gets. They just landed one of the top five coaches in college football. And one more thing before I go to break. If you want to say that Lincoln Riley is leaving OU because he wants no part of the SEC, maybe so. Because he not only left OU, he turned down LSU. So that would be a double pass on the SEC. Hey, look, I get it, man. OU going from the Big 12 to the SEC makes OU's chances of going to the playoff that much smaller. And then there's the pressure. Man, you see how fast things turned on Coach O? You see how fast things turned on Dan Mullen? Yet, did you see how much time Clay Helton got? I'm telling you, man, this dude made a great move. They made a great move. He made a great move. He's coming out here. Well, this past weekend, it was 80 degrees in SoCal. Life is good. He gets the keys to a Ferrari. Yeah, it's a Ferrari that needs some work. It's a Ferrari that needs some work, but once he gets that thing running, he's got nothing but open asphalt between him and a shot at a national title. Great move. Great, great hire, and I'm going to argue it's a great move by him. So it's the holidays, and you deserve a gift, a great gift. How about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every single day all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels and a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. Of course, I'm talking about giving yourself the gift of an X chair. I love mine. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I have ever used. And if I'm being honest, it's probably the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Not only is X chair, the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMAX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Can your office chair do that? Doubt it. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early and buy right now. Here is X chair's holiday gift to you. Save 100 bucks off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchairrome.com. That is the letter X 
Chair, R-O-M-E.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save. xchairrome.com. He is Andy Staples. Andy, what's going on? How are you? Doing good, Jim. My man, let me ask you, like, this is a daily show. Like, you have to know your room, right? This is not a podcast. This is not my old school Showtime show at night where we could say and do what we wanted. So in the most radio-friendly way possible, can you describe your thoughts and reaction when you heard the news that Lincoln Riley was going to be the next head coach at USC? Holy word I can't say on terrestrial radio. There you go. How's that for you? That's it. That's what I'm getting at. Like, so break that down for me. So I just assumed if Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, it would be for the NFL. Uh, he'd always seemed pretty stable there and, and got everything he needed for the administration. They, they were giving him raises every year. But the more I think about this, the more I think, you know, this is a situation where Oklahoma's moving to the SEC. That job is about to get quite a bit harder. USC is in a situation where they are not maximizing their potential. They're in a league that they could be winning every year or at least competing for every year. And so he can go to USC, recruit a lot of the same players that, that he's already been recruiting. I mean, one of the, the guys that, that he had committed at Oklahoma is Malachi Nelson, who's the number one quarterback recruit for the next year's class. Well, he's a, he's a Southern California guy. So naturally he decommits from Oklahoma last night. I would imagine he's going to USC to play for Lincoln Riley. So Lincoln Riley is going to be recruiting a lot of the same people just closer to home. No doubt. Andy Staples joining us. All right, so just kind of pick up on that thought. If Oklahoma had won on Saturday night and was going to the Big 12 championship game, how much would that have changed things for Riley and USC, or does it just change the timing, or does it change everything? What did that game have to do with this? I think it just changes the timing because you know, it would have been interesting had they won and then won again in the, in the Big 12 championship game because that probably would have put them in the playoff. But – I don't think it changes what your ultimate decision is here because if you think that you hit a ceiling in Oklahoma and that your ceiling would be higher at USC or that because Oklahoma is moving to the SEC, it changes the potential ceiling or the potential difficulty of the job, then you're still going to take USC. And USC for Lincoln Riley would have waited another week happily and would have waited until he was done in the playoff, probably. If you, if you know you're going to get him, you're willing to deal with that. We're talking to Andy Staples. All right, so you laid out what it's like, what it's going to be like for any coach who takes that job and they go to uh, the SEC versus coming to USC and being in the Pac-12. Like, if you hit coaches with some truth serum, is USC a better job than Oklahoma and LSU universally or maybe just for Lincoln Riley? I would say just for Lincoln Riley. I mean, LSU's won three national titles since 2003 with three different head coaches. Now, one of them is the greatest college coach of all time, Nick Saban. But Les Miles and Ed Orgeron, you're not putting on any of those lists. So I'd say it's a pretty good job if you could win a national. Now, you may get fired two or three years after you win that national title, but what do you want to do? Do you want to win a national title or not? So it it really depends on what you value and and what matters to you. If stability matters to you, LSU ain't your place. You know, Oklahoma might be. Oklahoma's been a very stable place over the years. I do think it gets harder going to the SEC, but – one of the things that – it may sound a little counterintuitive, Jim, but the, the personnel deficiency Oklahoma has suffered from when they played an Alabama, a Georgia, and an LSU in the playoff is talent on the line of scrimmage. I think going to the SEC will fix that problem for them 
because elite offensive and defensive linemen didn't want to play in the Big 12. They want to play in the SEC. They're going to be in the SEC. They're going to be able to get those players. So I, I guarantee you there's a line of coaches that would like to take this OU job, and I think whoever gets it will wind up looking pretty smart. I actually think that's a really interesting point you just made. Andy Staples is joining us. All right, so what about USC then? Like, there's no denying USC is a great job. You can say what you want, but the fact is he left a great job for this job. So to me, it's still a great job. The roster, Andy, is not great at the moment, and he's going to have to do some rebuilding. How do you think he will approach that, and then how quickly can Lincoln Riley turn that around? I think it'll be quick. They'll go fast. You know, he'll get probably a quarterback that he wants in there, and and they've got talented quarterbacks already. I mean, I would assume that one or two or three quarterbacks at USC currently on the roster are going to transfer, but, you know, Jackson Dart or Keaton Slovis, if if they're still there, are a good option. I mentioned Malachi Nelson. I think he'll probably be there pretty soon. And so they're going to be able to rebuild. Now, they also need to rebuild on the line of scrimmage. That's, that's where USC has been really deficient over the years. Uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon has been eating USC's lunch on the recruiting trail, and their, Oregon has been so much better at developing those guys up front. Utah has been so much better at developing offensive and defensive linemen than USC. So what Lincoln Riley has to do is do that better at USC. And if you can, then you will be the best program in the Pac-12. So we'll see. Can he get Bill Biedenboe, the O-line coach from, from Oklahoma, to come over? If he could do that, that would, that would be a huge first step. We were talking to Andy Staples. All right, so you touched on this, but where does this leave Oklahoma? For instance, where do they go from here for a head coach, and does it start a chain reaction? Oh, it's, this is a huge domino effect job because somebody with a Power 5 job is going to probably get Oklahoma unless somebody in the NFL decides they want it. And that rule not have a real good day for the Panthers if I, if I were. And it's interesting, Lincoln Riley and Matt Rule share an agent. So it, that, that could be a pretty smooth transition. But I, I don't see Matt Rule as the kind of guy who would pull a Bobby Petrino on an NFL team. Uh, but I do think there would be a lot of people potentially interested in Oklahoma. Matt Campbell at Iowa State has not been particularly interested in SEC jobs, and we have to remember that this is now an SEC job. But would it be different because it's Oklahoma, the most stable, one of the more recession-proof programs in college football? I don't know. Mark Stoops, brother of Bob Stoops, great Oklahoma coach, he's been doing really well at Kentucky. He's, his name's been mentioned for LSU. Uh, Kentucky will try to step up and, and pay a ton of money. But if Oklahoma offers, that's awfully hard to turn down. And then I do wonder, because this job is so good, Oklahoma has maybe the best athletic director in the business in Joe Castiglione. Well, coaches who wouldn't normally have considered something like this do it. Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, he has been pretty notoriously hard to, to even get to think about other jobs. Uh, the thought is that he would only leave for Ohio State or Notre Dame. But nobody ever thought Oklahoma would open. So I, I think those types of people, Joe Castiglione can make that call and, and make them say no, because I think a lot of people never thought this would open you know, in their careers. So they might be willing to go for it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's what's so shocking. I, it doesn't happen. It just does not happen there. Now, you raised another name on your podcast, Josh Heupel. He won seven games mm-hmm. in his first season at Tennessee despite taking over a complete mess of a program. He had a great career as a player at Oklahoma, but the relationship with the school has changed since he was let go as an assistant. Is there any chance or could you see any scenario where he might go back there as head coach? That, that's a tough one because – that relationship was so fractured when Bob Stoops fired Josh Heupel following the 2014 season. I'm not sure it, it, it gets repaired. And, and that's one of those that 
both ways they, they would have to come to sort of terms and figure it out. Uh, and, and it's interesting, uh, David Ubbin, who I work with at The Athletic, who, who used to cover Tennessee and now he's a national writer, he said that this would be the weird situation where if Josh Heifel got it, Oklahoma fans would go crazy complaining that they hired him, and Tennessee fans would be just beside themselves that they lost him. So mm. I think he's, he's probably pretty secure at Tennessee. Probably, I, I, you know, given what happened to Oklahoma, I'm not sure if that's a place he'd want to go back to. All right, so there was a lot of talk about Riley going to LSU. So now that Riley is in L.A., where does LSU go from here? Ask Jimbo Fisher again. Make him say no again. So Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, is the one who hired Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, and that's always been the thought that he would he would keep trying to hire Jimbo Fisher. I don't think he's going to get Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo has said he's not going. You look at the the recruiting class Jimbo has coming in at Texas A&M. I just don't. It, it's going to take a lot to to get him out of there. I, I don't think you can do it. So, you know, do you move on now to Mark Stoops at Kentucky? Is that somebody you might be interested in? I think he could be successful at a higher-level SEC program, given what he's done. Uh, you know, like I said, Matt Campbell—that's not a, the type of job that would interest him. So you've got to cast your net a little wider. Maybe you cast it toward an assistant somewhere, like Dan Lanning, the DC at Georgia. But it's—it's it's interesting that when you promise a whale, and that's basically what Scott Woodward has done, because everybody assumed they would—they would try to get Jimbo, and then it sounded like they were trying to get Lincoln Riley with a, with, with a huge offer and you don't deliver a whale, I don't know that anybody's going to be particularly thrilled about whoever you do deliver at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. Another good point. Really quickly, Andy, before you go, it's crazy to think that Florida filled its coaching job yesterday and is immediately blown off the front page by USC. You obviously <laughs> know that program really well. What do you make of the fit of Billy Napier at Florida? I think it's, it checks all the boxes that we're looking for. You know, I'm, I'm out of the business of predicting whether these coaching hires will work or not because it's, it's a complete crapshoot. But they were looking for somebody who would be a more aggressive recruiter, who would be willing to take on the Kirby Smarts and the Nick Sabans and the Jimbo Fishers of the world in recruiting to try to bring better players to Gainesville. And that's what Billy Napier will do. He came up, uh, he came up with Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. He then moved on and kind of went through Nick Saban's coaching rehabilitation program at Alabama, came out a better coach on the other side, and took a lot of the same organizational structure. Now, as I say this, remember Florida hired – ex-Saban guys, Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain, and that didn't work. But what they want is a guy who will try to get those five-star recruits that Dan Mullen was not getting. And Napier definitely seems capable and qualified to do that. Now, he's still got to do it, but he does seem like the right guy. And I think they moved really fast because they were worried that he's sitting there at Louisiana Lafayette, 50 miles away from LSU. Would he be LSU's fallback plan? Well, they made sure they got him before he could be. Right. I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. I'm really intrigued by that. I, I'm really curious to see how he does, and I think that could absolutely work out. He covers college football and many other things in a way for The Athletic. He is host of The Andy Staples Show. He is a good friend of the program. Andy, thank you so much, man. Great job, and always good to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. This has been a crazy, backwards, pretty much bleeped-up college football season. In other words, an amazing college football season. And Rivalry Weekend lived up to all that insane chaos. Bedlam was Bedlam, and so was pretty much every other game. Like, seemingly impossible things have been happening almost on the weekly this fall. Like Texas losing at home to Kansas. Clemson clinging to a top 25 ranking. 
Lincoln, Riley, bolting Oklahoma for USC, or Michigan not only beating Ohio State, but beating the hell out of Ohio State. You know, just crazy talk. It's been about 48 hours, and still nothing feels or sounds or looks or seems more backwards than saying the words, Michigan won a game that matters, and saying it out loud. The fact is, they didn't just win any game, they won the game. And they didn't just win the game, they hammered Ohio State. Michigan beat the hell out of the Buckeyes. Badly enough that it brought John Madden out. John Madden texted Jim Harbaugh after the game, apparently, and said that he had never seen a more dominant offensive line performance. I guess my man was just as stunned and as freaked out as everybody else to see the Buckeyes get their asses handed to them by Michigan. And it was a pretty astonishing thing to see. You know, one thing to finally win the game, but to win it like that was not something I thought that I would ever see from Harbaugh and Michigan. I mean, the Wolverines ran for 297 yards. They were better than seven yards per carry. Star running back, Hassan Haskins, put up 30 points by himself. OSU scored 27 in the game. Michigan edge rusher, Aiden Hutchinson, absolutely decimated the Ohio State offensive line. It's an incredible stat. Not only did he have three sacks, he had 15 QB pressures. Not for the season, but for the day. You heard that right, 15. PFF says that is the most since they started tracking college games back in 2014. 15 QB pressures. I mean, literally, everybody and everything clicked for the maize and blue on Saturday. Even Harbaugh managed to land a post-game zinger on Ryan Day. Never mind, Albie, that he probably had this one locked and loaded for five years, but he finally got to use it. Yeah, I mean, I know the probably things you're thinking of are the same as I'm thinking of, but, I mean, let's move on with humble hearts, take the high road. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely stuff that people said that spurred us on even more. Sure. Sometimes people that are standing on third base think they hit a triple, you know, but they didn't. Right, thanks. Yeah, because he was going to take the high road. Is there anybody anywhere who thought Harbaugh was going to take the high road? Yeah, you know, uh, probably just people expect me to be classy. People expect me to take the high road. And nobody expected you to take the high road. We expected that, bro. He walked off on that, too. Of course he did. Way to take the high road. I guarantee he had that line in his back pocket for years. And just been waiting, 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 and then walked off on it. He's been holding that for years because he has been unable to beat the guy that he's now shading. I mean, sure, Day might have gotten a pretty sweet handoff from Perv, but he also had not lost a single Big Ten game there until Saturday. Yeah, but you know, sometimes people that are standing on third base think they hit a triple. Sometimes a blind squirrel finds a nut. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. And Harbaugh finally won one that mattered. 
he finally won the game that he was hired to win. Six years after he was hired to win it. Yes, it was a big win. Yes, it was a big day for all you Michigan men. But let's not get it twisted, right? Yes, it was a big win. Yes, it was emphatic. Yes, they beat the hell out of them. But it's also the job. It's also the expectation. He was hired to win that game, and it wasn't supposed to take six years. And the expectations don't end there. So the next expectation, and it's not as big of an ask, is that he beats Iowa on Saturday, and then they head to the playoff. So my man, you might be standing on third base, and you might have gone in standing up. And I know you're looking around, trying to get everybody to look at you and get people to stop talking about Lincoln Riley. Finish the job, man. You imagine if they lose to Iowa, then the win over Ohio State really doesn't even count. But that was far from the only thing that went down that was wild on Saturday. Man, my man, I don't know that there's anybody anywhere feeling better about themselves and what they just did than Harbaugh, man. You want to talk about smug. He, he could not have been more pleased with himself. High road my ass. There was no way he was taking the high road. After everything he's heard, a guy with that much pride, oh, no way was he taking the high road. Move on with humble hearts. Take the high road, but... Uh... But a hell no. Just because you're standing on third base does not mean you hit a triple. For standing on third base, think they hit a triple. He he just all but called that guy a designated runner. Right? You know, that that big masher got in, had the big poke, and then they pinch ran for him. Hey, go put Ryan Day on third base. Pervin just hit that triple. Pervin just hit one off the wall and went lumbering into third base. Get Ryan Day out there. For standing on third base, think they hit a triple. I'll give it to Michigan, though, man. That was quite a performance. That was something else. What a beatdown. What a beatdown. And almost really a referendum that you got to say about Harbaugh, even whatever differences I've had with Harbaugh, you know, for him to say, like, you know what? We can do it our way. We can punch them in the face. We can run it down their throats. We can have a quarterback and not ask him to do too much. We can do it the way we did it at Stanford, and it can work. Yeah, I mean, they're a lot quicker. They're a lot faster. They're a lot more athletic. But if we punch them in the face a couple of times, they're going to back down. And then it won't matter. And then they ran it right down their throats and pinned their ears back. It was a really physical performance, a dominant performance. But no, he was not taking the high road. I think we all knew that. He is Charles Robinson. Charles, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing today? Good, dude. Good. Great to have you back. Thanks so much. Let me start with the Packers because you've got a piece up on the Packers on Yahoo. I had Packers safety Adrian Amos on the show in the first hour. Let me ask you this. The Packers are no strangers to the NFC Championship game. We know that. But to you, does this feel like a team that could get over the hump and into the Super Bowl? Well, I, you know, I think if the defense can get healthy, you know, you've got a couple of guys that, that obviously are coming back, you know, slated to come back from um, injured reserve. You have, you know, some other pieces, Razul Douglas, uh, Rashawn Gary starting to, you know, make an impact down the stretch. And I think really that's what could change for the Packers. Offensively, you know, barring injuries, I think 
I don't think anybody questions whether or not the Packers can can hang with anyone in the NFC from that standpoint. And you know, Aaron Rodgers, even though we obviously missed a game with COVID, and you know, there's been drama that surrounded him this season. He's still playing at an MVP level. It's all about where the talent of the defense is going to go down the stretch, and also the schedule. I think we start to look at the schedule and the seeding race, and you know, the the Packers have a pretty decent schedule, and. Frankly, I think if you look at home field advantages that still exist in the NFL, I, the Packers are, I think they have a hammer lock over almost any other team. Nobody wants to go to Lambeau in, in January and, and, you know, late or early February, I guess, at this point in the season and, or at this point in the NFL. And, um, you know, you also have a lot of the NFC teams that would be coming into Lambeau if the Packers were to get that number one seed. They're dome teams or they're warm weather teams, which only plays into Green Bay's hands. So I think down the stretch, the talent's there, the the health, if these guys can return from, from injured reserve, some of these defensive players um, could make a big difference for, for the Packers. And as we've seen this season, it's pretty much wide open across the board. We're talking to Charles Robinson. In terms of health, speaking of that, for instance, if you're the Cardinals, how concerned would you be about Kyler Murray and his ankle right about now? For instance, is it just a matter of the team having a healthy lead and making sure their guy gets as much rest as possible? Or is there a real reason to be concerned there? Well, they're saying it's about acceleration. That's why they've kind of held him back a little bit longer. Um, You know, I think I'm sure they're sitting there and the 2020 season is in the back of their minds. When, when Kyler's shoulder got banged up, um, their, their season fell apart really in the second half of that season. And I don't think they want to repeat that, but it, you know, look, a guy who, you know, uh, hurts his ankle and then misses essentially a month of football. That's, that's no small thing. We don't know what he's going to look like when he gets back on the field. We assume, Hey, they've taken all this extra time. He's going to step out there and be a hundred percent. Well, we'll see when he's running around, um, you know, so I, I understand the caution. Plus, Colt McCoy's given them the breathing room. I mean, anytime you put in a backup quarterback and, you know, he can go two and one in an important stretch and win a couple of games in your division on the road, I, that's a huge plus for you. And I think the, the Cardinals have to feel like this is about, it's gone about as well as it could have possibly gone for them once Kyler went down and afforded them a little extra breathing room. But I, I don't think we should just assume that Kyler's going to step in there and be perfectly fine, particularly after last season when, you know, we were told, hey, you know, the shoulder's not that bad. He, you know, he's going to be able to play through it. And we really watched that offense and, and Murray tail off down the stretch last season. I so, think I was going to say, excuse me, I think the, I think you make a very good point. I was going to say to you, watching the NFL this year, I don't assume anything about anything anymore. Like the Packers, Charles, were not overly aggressive when it came to Odell Beckham Jr. Instead, he goes to the Rams. And aside from that TD yesterday, he's been relatively quiet there. When you watch the Rams offense right now, what do you think? Uh, I mean, they miss Robert Woods. I don't think there's any question about that. People, I don't think people fully understood how important Robert Woods was to that offense. I mean, he did a lot of little things, but he, he was uh, – you know, look, Cooper Cup, obviously he's the A number one guy for Stafford, but Wood, you know, Woods really filled a role there where he was as dependable as Cup. He just didn't have the same production or, or some of the big plays. But, you know, I, I think that people who don't really understand – the Rams inside the locker room, the leadership that a guy like Woods brings to the table, um, the confidence that Stafford had in him almost immediately when he got there. I mean, even it's a small thing, but the Rams, Patrick Ramsey, 
uh, or excuse me, I'm sorry, <laughs> Patrick Ramsey. Wow, that's a that's a blast from the past. Uh, like Jalen <laughs> that, Ramsey dude, wanted that, that'll happen two. even if somebody is good as you, dude. It's okay. I, I it's swear, okay, man. That's Twenty years. That's twenty years. <laughs> that's it's okay, right man. It just came You're out still of my the man. Head. Yeah, Jalen Ramsey wanted the number two, you know, uh, uh, jersey this off season. Robert Woods wanted the number two jersey this off season. It went to Woods, and and I know people are like, well come on, that's not a big deal, whatever. No, it is. Like, inside that organization, when you have two guys vying for that number, um, both who really wanted it, and you give it to the wide receiver, who's not even really considered, hey, you're a you know number one wide receiver in your franchise, it says a lot about what the coaching staff thinks about the guy's effort, what he brings inside the organization, the locker room. And so to have him go down with that injury and then add Odell Beckham to the mix right when that's all sort of occurring or right before it occurs – um, you know, I think it was a little bit of a hit to that offense and, and the consistency of the offense. But we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves on Stafford. Everybody's out here. You know, McVay feels compelled to defend him at this point. I'm more worried about the defense because Rodgers essentially did whatever he wanted. And, and you know, they ran on that defense. They threw on the defense. Um, I don't think they're getting the impact that I thought they would get or they thought they would get on all three levels and it's probably time to take Ramsey and go, you know what, you're just going to go on the best wide receiver. We're not going to do this thing where you're, you're essentially a rover and you're going to go all, all over the field. When Devontae Adams is out there, you're on him. Like That's the guy that we're, you are a lockdown corner. We're going to stick you on the opposing best wide receiver, and, and that's how we're going to move forward. Yeah, I don't think you want to be putting the guys they had on Devontae out there and ask them to do that when you've got Jalen or Patrick, or any of the other Ramseys, but especially Jalen, <laughs> especially Jalen. Really quickly, Charles, what about the Ravens? They beat the Browns last night. Technically, they've got the best record in the AFC, but do they actually look like the best team in the AFC to you right now? It's, I mean, you know, I don't want to dig on them. They win a game, but anytime, look, it was such a, it's such a roller coaster with Lamar Jackson. I mean, anytime a guy throws three interceptions in a quarter and, and three consecutive drives none of them like wonky and just bad decisions like bad throws like bad interceptions that almost any other I mean you take a mediocre quarterback if a mediocre quarterback did that we would be killing the guy today kind of back off Lamar a little bit because he can do a lot of other things on the field and we perceive him as being a special guy but you can't do that against a good team and that's the thing that the Browns right now um, are not playing great football. I would say they're they're a middle of the road team at best right now, and they're struggling through their own quarterback stuff. He does that in a playoff game versus almost any team. I, I think that's you know in, in the top four or five in the AFC. You're probably going to lose that game. You can't turn the ball over like that. I mean, I think look what four turnovers Lamar. I think Cleveland produced three points out of that. Most other teams in the AFC that are above average are going to produce more points than that, and the Ravens are going to lose that game. So, you know, it makes me a little bit nervous to see that kind of a performance out of him. But, um, you know, I, I, as you said, you can't really trust anybody this year, every team, and I feel like even every quarterback in the AFC has had horrible – I mean, Josh Allen, who we all thought was going to be the MVP coming in this season, has had some straight awful performances um, over the course of the season at times. So – I'd say it puts the, the Ravens on brand with the rest of the AFC that maybe, I mean, maybe that's the team we trust, or maybe it's New England, or maybe it's Buffalo. I mean, we're going to switch every single week. What do you think, really quickly, what about a quick preview, New England and Buffalo? How do you see that going down this week? Well, I mean, look, New England, the, the, the 
I think the method for New England is pretty simple now. I mean, the, the offense is they found the running game. They don't ask Mac Jones to do a ton. Um, and, and they have a defense that's great. I mean, it's a really good defense. It's talented, deep. Bill Belichick feels like it's, it's – he clearly feels it's a smart defense because they're doing a lot of different things on the field. Um, you know, so I, I think for, for the Patriots, as long as they can stick to what the formula has been up until this point, that's reeled off what the six straight wins for them at this point, is just being able to run the football and let the defense attack and take away, you know, what, what the Bills like to do best. I mean, you're going to take a guy like Diggs away from, from Josh Allen and say, okay, force it somewhere else. Let's see you put this on your shoulders. And the Bills got to get more balanced. They're way too, Everything is so leaned on Josh Allen right now. It's like they're not even trying to run the ball consistently. I think the Bills got to find a way to not make it all the Josh Allen show because that's going to be a disaster against Belichick if he can take away what Josh Allen likes to do. Good night now!